All the way off. Okay, who do you think this is? Who do you think this is? Anyone have any guesses? This is Jimmy. This is the first young boy at Calvary Christian Family. And so this is, this is uh, Jimmy as he's being picked up in somewhere in the south of Haiti. And he probably, I don't know if he's ever even been in a car, but it looks like he hasn't. Anyway, uh, go to the next pi slide, please. And so this is Jimmy. He just arrived at the uh, orphanage. He's with Joanne, the, who's our house mother, you could say. And flip one more. And this is Jimmy right back there uh, with Mika. She's the head of the orphanage there. We are so, uh, we just are rejoicing uh, just in his life. And I was thinking that uh, <laughs> the orphanage, we have five people on staff there. This kid's getting a lot of attention. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but isn't that the way the Lord is? It just take you from a place where you have nothing, his Dad died when he was born. His mother died about three months ago. He was being taken care of by a neighbor, which, by the way, is a recipe in Haiti for child slavery, 300,000 uh, child slaves in Haiti. And, uh, but the Lord crowns us with tender mercies and loving kindness. And so uh, just wanted you guys... Just wanted you guys to rejoice in that. Just so uh, you know how this is uh, working, it's a really sort of what we would think is a little backwards. In Haiti, the orphanage government agency requires uh, a visit. In order to approve you as an orphanage, they need to come by and see you with a few orphans to know that you can take care of them. Sounds kind of crazy to me, but that's the system. And so uh, we're having to go to several uh, cities where the mayor sort of release orphans into your care. At that point, we will go to the official agency in Port-au-Prince and get approved, and it'll sort of be a different process at that point. Pre please pr uh, pray for Sue Mantel, who's going to be with Jimmy and the rest of the kids uh, this summer for a month uh, in Haiti this summer. And we're really rejoicing at that. And uh, that was really something that was on Pastor Serge's heart, uh, to have some fr someone from the States for a few months or a, a, a season at least, just to um, be an example uh, to uh, the women in his church who they have hired uh, to take care of the kids. So praise the Lord. Okay. You can turn the lights back on if I can get some... Help putting this back up. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Okay, and just, uh, just a few other things. Really excited about uh, a couple new ministries that are, it really looks like the Lord is bringing them to life uh, in our church body. One is the, the, at the Department of Youth Services. That basically means prison for youth. Uh, young men, boys under the age of, and women actually, under the age of 
18. Uh, we have uh, gone to them because actually several different people came to me independently of each other, uh, interested in jail ministry, and we have approached them about going in every Saturday and just ministering to the youth and uh, doing worship. Hopefully we'll have a bunch of percussion people there, uh, uh, guitar, uh, Bible study, prayer, and then anything else uh, that, you know, the Lord is going to be putting on our hearts. We expect that to happen. We're going to be going in each Saturday. Two weeks from today, after the service, uh, we will be having uh, a, an in, uh, just a meeting for anybody who's interested. And so that uh, Eric Burks is going to be the contact person really excited about that. So we're in missions in various places in the world, but God has called us for some for a season, others for a much longer time. Here, Boston, we want to make sure that we are ministering and in missions in our backyard. And so praise God for that. Another ministry I'm really excited about, uh, Albert, uh, who you just saw up here on the djembe is going to be uh, with his guitar. Uh, he and uh, maybe a few others uh, will be with his guitar in Back Bay Subway Station each Saturday at 3.30. And he'd like people to accompany him, not to assault people or anything like that, but just to be there and pray. You know, God didn't, Jesus didn't send out the disciples by themselves. He sent them out either two or more. And, um, and so he'd just like people there just to pray. That's it. If you want to do something else, that's fine. But I think that that's the main purpose there. And I know, if I know exactly what he's thinking because as I'm up here, the thing that I appreciate more than anything else is prayer. So if you're called to join um, Albert, uh, please speak with him. Also, and that's actually already started, so that's been going on the last couple of weeks. He's going to be continuing that. Finally, two weeks from today, uh, Rob Rogers uh, is a person who we are bringing out from Indiana. Uh, he has a ministry called Mighty and Lands, uh, Land Ministries. The Lord has used this guy in an incredibly powerful way uh, a few years ago. Uh, he was with his uh, wife and four kids, and in his presence, during a flash flood, his wife and four kids perished. So how do you recover from something like that? Well, we're going to hear about it, and God is using him actually all around the world in a real powerful way, and we're making investment, bringing him out. If you can think of anyone who would benefit from that, whether it's the loss of a person or, for that matter, anything, uh, please bring him out that day. That's two weeks from today. Uh, Rob Rogers, Mighty and Land Ministries, please be uh, praying about that. It, uh, we're really looking forward to it. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 2 will be in verse 11. Going through the book of Hebrews, actually it is a letter 
chapter by chapter, verse by verse, verse 11, chapter 2. For both he, speaking of Jesus, who sanctifies, and those, speaking of you and me, who are being sanctified, are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for crowning us, Lord, with glory and honor. We thank you for releasing us from bondage, from fear, from sin, from addiction. We love you, Jesus. Open up our hearts that we may hear you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, please be seated. So, verse 11 of chapter 2. Hebrews says this. For both he who sanctifies, he being Jesus, he who sanctifies, sanctifies means Make holy. The word sanctify in the Greek means make holy. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For both he who makes holy and those who are being made holy are all one. Now, the Bible teaches that once a man or woman asked Jesus Christ into their life, once a man or woman is born again by the Spirit of God, once a man or woman is given new life by placing their faith in Jesus Christ for what he did for them on the cross, there's a process of sanctification. That's a fancy word, but that's what it's called. That begins in their life, in your life, a process of being made holy. What does holy mean? It means to be set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from sin, set apart from a life that is opposed to God. So when you gave your life to Jesus, a process began in which God began to sanctify you, make you holy. Your body was not created for sin. (laughs) 
your body was not created for sin. I remember when I was born again, I was 24 years of age, God began to remove sin from my life, sexual immorality, gory and ugly music that I had been pumping into my soul, pornography, casual lying, cheating and stealing, the foul language that had become uh, so much a part of my life. My body wasn't made for that stuff. And when it was removed by God from my life, it was one of the most invigorating, refreshing, cleansing things, uh, experiences that I had uh, uh, ever known. Uh, so it was like someone taking a fire hose, you know, those hoses that firemen carry around, and someone stuck it in my mouth, and it went, you know, and, and you know, it was a little painful for a while, but after I was really feeling uh, so different. I wasn't made for that stuff. You guys are not made for sin, for that ugliness called sin. You weren't made for it. In verse 7 of this chapter we re re read last week, it says, You, speaking of God, have made uh, him, speaking of man, a little lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Our bodies, our relationships, our minds were created for glory, it says. Meaning for beauty, for purity, for excellence. Sin ruined all that. Sin destroyed the glory. It ravaged it. It darkened it. But, as we read last week in verse 10 of this same chapter, it was fitting for him, speaking of God, for whom all things and by whom are all things, to bring many sons to glory. To bring many sons back to glory. Because that's what your life, your relationship, your body, your soul was created for. It's created for glory. God saved you, yes, to save you from death and hell. But also to restore glory, beauty, purity, excellence to your life. So back to verse 11. For both he, speaking again of Jesus, for both he who sanctifies, he who makes you holy, and those who are being sanctified. Notice it says being sanctified, meaning the process of being made holy, getting sin out of your life and replacing it with love, kindness, goodness, and self-control is an ongoing process. It's a lifelong process. God may reveal something uh, this week, this today, before you leave church today, uh, things that uh, are sin that he wants to remove for your sanctification, for your glory, holiness, being made holy. It's a lifelong process. Now again, notice who is doing what here. It says, for both he, verse 11, who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. So who is doing the sanctification? Jesus. Again, verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom all things are, uh, all, all things, and by whom are all things, to, in bringing many uh, uh, sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation. So Jesus is the 
captain of your uh, salvation. And that's not just a, a nice, quaint thing, sounding thing. Oh, Jesus, the captain of my salvation. Oh, how nice. Must have a little hat with one of those skipper things. And, you know, no, it's, it's a living reality. He's the captain of your salvation. He's the, he has taken full responsibility, listen, of taking your ship from here to eternity. He's the captain of your salvation. And now verse 11 says, it's he who sanctifies, who makes you holy. So many Christians live in discouragement, some in despair, some give up, many give up. Because they get this idea that is, it is them. They are responsible, responsible for sort of pulling them up in holiness by their own bootstraps. They're responsible for their own holiness. And they make all kinds of commitments and promises and try to keep them by their own strength. They get out of bed. How many times have I done this? Today is going to be different. Today I'm not going to lose my temper. Today I'm going to be kind to everyone. Well, uh, uh, all it does is it takes one car cutting me off and it's like, hey, what do you think you're doing now? You know, and it's all gone. And, and, you know, we slip into despair and, and, and because we're trying to do this holiness thing in our own strength. No, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. It is, verse 11, he who makes holy. And it, then it says in verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. So in a very profound, real, powerful, beautiful way, you and I and everyone else in the body of Christ are one. First, if you've given your life to Christ, you must realize this. You are one with Jesus. You're one with Him. You need to let that one sink in. You are one with Jesus. The Bible says that when you gave your life to Jesus, it's like uh, you became one with him. But as we just read, it also says that you are one not only with Jesus, but with everyone else. In the body of Christ, Jesus says in John 13, the world will know you are my disciples by your love, by your oneness with one another. So if you're choosing friends at church or in the body of Christ because they look like you, act like you, talk like you, and smell like you, the body of Christ will suffer, you will suffer, the world will say, hmm, uh, they look and feel no different than anything else. Why would I want that? I don't know about you, that's not the witness I want for my life. Sunday morning's not supposed to be the most segregated part of the day of the week. The Bible says that the church that Jesus wants is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And God is not a respecter of persons, the Bible says, meaning that whether you're high socioeconomically or low, all one. God help you 
if you're unwilling to associate and be with and mix and embrace someone of a lower position or a higher position. We're all one, this says. And it goes on to say, for which reason, continuing on in verse 11, he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Many of you will see italics there in verse 12. That's a prophetic uh, verse, uh, verse 12 there. Uh, from Psalm 22, which is a psalm that prophetically uh, looks forward to Jesus. It prophesies about uh, uh, what Jesus uh, will say here in the presence of God. Verse 12 is saying regarding Jesus you and you and I, I will declare your name to my brethren, and in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Wow. So Jesus calls me brother. Jesus calls you, brother. Jesus calls you, sister. When Jesus saved you, he does not call you into a religion. He calls you into a relationship in which he calls you, brother, in which he calls you, sister. And I don't know about you, but that's a really, really hard thing for me to grasp about myself, that God calls me brother. That's a difficult thing for me to grasp. However, I need to understand, you need to understand that part of your sanctification, part of your being made holy, is getting to the place in your life where you really, really, really believe that and live that. That Jesus loves you, that you are his sister, his brother. I may feel like a shriveled up, filthy, dish rag with all my issues, all my struggle, all my pride, myself, my ugliness that I know is still a part, part of me, but Jesus calls me brother. Not only that, uh, it says in, in verse 11 here, it says that um, he is not ashamed to call me his brother. I don't know about you, but have you, have you ever been somewhere with a loved one, someone you really cared a lot about, but someone who, they just had issues? <laughs> and they get drunk, or they get stoned, or they get really obnoxious, or out of control, and, and drawing everyone's attention, then you're ashamed. You're like... I hope people, I wish people, I want people to think, I don't know this person. Who is this person anyway, you know? Uh, or maybe that they're not obnoxious, but maybe just emotionally or socially, they're just challenged. Or maybe, you know, or, or maybe they just don't care, uh, take care of themselves. They may smell, they don't dress right. Or when they say things, it's just really awkward painful for you to look at the expressions on other people as they're listening to them and, and you're just ashamed 
to be associated with them. And then sometimes your shame turns into guilt. You're, you're, I love this person and I am ashamed that, that I, I mean, I'm guilty that I'm uh, ashamed by, about them. Well, Jesus doesn't struggle with that. He doesn't struggle with any of that. Verse 11, it says at the end of the verse, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. And I just love uh, verse 12. It says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. So there's this picture here of Jesus declaring the name of God with you and me, with going before God. With, with you and me and, and saying and just worshiping the Father, being with the Father. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise, give, sing praise to you. With all our issues and all our problems and all our weaknesses, all our sin... I mean, you just take your thought life for one day, all the stuff that runs through your mind. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of ugly gunk, a lot of sewerage that runs through my mind on a single day, and, and Jesus knows every single bit of it. The Bible says that all our thoughts are laid naked before him. He knows about it all. Nevertheless, he gathers me, you, us to himself and he declares to God, I will declare, to the Father rather, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. He is not ashamed to call you brother, sister. Let's continue, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood... He, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same. Meaning, just as, just as we are human, Jesus became a human. That, through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death will all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, this is one of those verses that is really near and dear to my heart because prior to being saved, oh, was I in bondage to the fear of death. I often think to myself, I was telling Stephanie last night, if, if Jesus didn't save me, and I really mean this, I'd be dead in prison or in a mental facility. My mind at the time I was saved was really, really beginning to break down. And one of the things that used to happen to me, which to be honest was just the tip of the iceberg, was that I was often just overcome with different phobias, different fears, and more than any other, the fear of death. And it may sound funny today, but it really, really, really wasn't at the time. But in my late teens and early 20s, I would feel whatever, some pain in my side or leg or neck or whatever. And I just, I would just know, that's it. I'm dying. 
I was a dead man. I had cancer. And this, it was so debilitating to my life. I would literally go one or two weeks thinking about practically nothing else. It was a total distraction. And I, I was thinking about how am I going to break my news to my family? How am I going to break my news to my friends? And people you know, would talk to me about whatever. They'd ask me about what are you going to do for your career? And I would tell them. And, and I would be thinking to myself the whole time while I was thinking, I, I don't have the heart to tell them the truth. And this was real. And it's so real. I have, I, today I have so much affinity with people with mental illness. Because their, feels, their fears are real. <laughs> and that's why they live in torment. And for me, it was just so overwhelming, this fear, and it would go on for days, for weeks, and then usually what would happen is the pain, which I'm sure was imaginary in the first place anyway, would go away, and I would just relax for a few months until the next pain in my side. I was in bondage to the fear of death. It says in verse 15, Jesus released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The word bondage, if you don't know what that means, it means just picture someone who's in chains. However, verse 14 and 15 says that Jesus on the cross destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And I remember the first time I read this, I'm like, whoa, this is a verse in the Bible? That was me, <laughs> you know? And you'd go around, look, this was me. Ever had a, had a verse like that? You know, but the, but the thing is, of course, it wasn't just about me. This fear of death plagues the world, <laughs> And I was reading about this, the fear of death, one of the top ten phobias, the fear of death. Also in the top ten, fear of cancer. Also common phobias, microphobia, the fear of germs, bacteriophobia. Anyone wonder what that is? The fear of bacteria. By the way, do you know what number one is? Arachnophobia. 50% of women have arachnophobia. You know what that is? Fear of spiders? So how many of you women can relate? Don't raise your hands. Come on. I wouldn't do that to you. But, but anyway, the fear of cancer, the fear of germs, the fear of bacteria, it's all related to the same thing. It's the fear of death. There's so many books out there, seminars, philosophies, gimmicks, Helping people cope with the fear of death. I was looking at this advertisement for yoga to help you cope with the fear of death. Yoga, of course, all they want to do is just try to get you to forget about it. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's, by the way, is how most people cope with the fear of death. I was uh, rec uh, recently heard, I believe it was John Paul Getty, that billionaire from uh, last century who was another household name when I was growing up. He, he was one of the richest men in the world, and he instructed his entire staff never to mention death. And in one form or another, that's how most people deal with death. They just try not to think about it, try to push it out of their life. But how's anyone supposed to do that? I mean, death is all around us. It's in, in the news every day. It's in our face every hour. Death. The fear of death. 
verse 15 talks about releasing those who through fear of death are subject their lifetime, all their lifetime to bondage. Why is that? Why are so many in bondage to the fear of death? Answer again, sin, sin, which ravaged the glory. In chapter 2 of Genesis, God said to Adam, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. We know from Genesis chapter 3, he passed it on to Eve. They were tempted, Adam and Eve, by Satan. They chose to eat of the fruit. They chose to sin, to choose a way other than God's way, and death came into their lives. James chapter 1 verse 14 says this, Each one who is tempted... When he is, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 56, the Apostle Paul has this interesting way of putting it. He says, the sting of death is sin. Sin is the cause of death. It is the cause of the fear of death. Why? Satan makes sure that it is so. Satan introduces you to sin. Satan tempts you to sin. And then he what? He terrifies you with the consequences of sin. He accuses you of sin and reminds you of those words. In that day that you sin, you will surely die. You're a sinner and you will surely die. You are a sinner and you will surely die. You are a sinner and you will surely die. That is a voice that the uh, entire world uh, is under the sway of. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. That means, among other things, he's got the whole world in bondage to that lie. You are a sinner, and surely you will die. But what did we read about in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15? Again, inasmuch then... As the uh, children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise shared in the same that through death, through the cross, he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So it is true. Sin leads to death. That is a fear that's fully justified. Because God is righteous, he is uh, holy, and he will judge sin. And the, the promise, that the, the curse that he made on sin, that if you sin, uh, you will surely die, that death does result from sin. But what did we just read? That it is Jesus who paid the price for us, who died for us. Sin leads to death. 
it lead, led to the death of Jesus Christ. I love how uh, verse 9 of the same chapter uh, uh, puts it. In verse 9 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ for what he did for you on the cross, Satan can no longer say, you are a sinner, you will surely die. You are a sinner, you will surely die. You are a sinner and you will surely die. Oh, he can say it. He can say it. But it, it will fall on death ears to anyone who has been invited, who has received, who has drunk in, who has believed the word of God, over time it will have no power over him. First John 4, 4 says, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus said in John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. In John eleven twenty five, he said to Martha, Jesus, this is him speaking, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Second Corinthians 5, 8, the apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what happened to the sin which causes the fear of death? God so loved the world, he placed the sin of the world, all of it on him, and the wrath of God, the judgment against sin, was satisfied. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five says, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? No more fear of death. He released through, who through fear of death we're all their lifetime subject to bondage. God is so good. He saved you to restore you to glory and honor, to beauty, to splendor, and fear of death. In fact, any fear, unless it is a holy fear of God, is not a part of the glory he crowned you with. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and I love this next one, a sound mind. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now before we close, a word to the wise, a warning to you and me. Anytime the Lord has <clears throat> released you from anything, and, and it's a wonderful thing about the Lord, he's just so into releasing you from anything that causes distress in your life. That's what he loves to do. He loves to do that more than you want it to happen because he loves you. He wants that oneness. But anytime the Lord has released you from anything, any fear, any phobia, a sin, an addiction, a bondage, a lust, a temptation, whatever, don't think Satan is just going to give up, claim defeat, and go on to something else. No, he will wait until an opportune time. I mean, come on, he did that with Jesus. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 basically 
knock Satan down three times with the word of God each time Satan tried to tempt him. What does it say? Satan left him and never returned? No, Satan left him for what? An opportune time. That's right. And so um, Satan's not just going to give up. You know, it may take him a year, it may take him five years, it may take him 50, he will be back. You know, I remember uh, about five or six years after I was uh, saved, I was running across uh, this street. It was a very well-traveled street where cars moved pretty fast. And uh, so I was running across the, uh, what I thought was a one-way street. So I'm looking at uh, one of these deals. I'm looking, at, looking across to make, to make sure, can I run fast enough to get in front of that car? Yes, I can. So I'm running. But it wasn't a one-way street. There was a car coming the other way. And I just heard, when my head was turning this way, I heard brakes screeching over here. And that thing just hit me. And I just went up like this. And you know, to this day, by the way, I, I really feel like this angel just carried me to the ground. And I just went all the way to the sidewalk. You know, I look up and this car looks at me. It's a minivan, actually. And that just takes off. I know. <laughs> and um, and uh, someone slams on the brake. Do you want me to chase that guy? And I'm like, whatever, you know. Uh, uh, you know. And, and so... Uh, the <laughs> I remember, my, I remember telling my friend Pete about this story, and he's, he's laughing hysterically. A minivan, like, you're supposed to be conservative, aren't you, if you drive those things? And here they are, you know, running off. But uh, anyway, enough of that. God forgive them for that sin. Um, and, but anyway, but, you know, I, 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 I actually got up, but I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I probably, you know, even though I can walk, I should probably go see a doctor, see if something happened, because I just got hit by like a two-ton whatever, one-ton uh, minivan. So I went to the doctor, and they did. I'm sorry for you doctors here. I'm going to butcher all this, but that nuclear medicine stuff, they put this little dye in your blood because they wanted to see my whole skeleton. So you, know, they, they, you see these full-body-length things with your skeleton going... You know, and, and, and so this thing comes out, and, and the doctor says, look, you know, I, 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 there, there is, um, I don't think there's been any effect from this car hitting you, but we, we see something that does give us concern. Here in your left thigh bone, your left femur, there is this, there's a tumor there, and this thing was so freaky looking because it was like a star. That's what that radioactive dye does. It's like this star, just like glowing in my left thigh bone. And I'm like, whoa. You know, and, and, and so then, you know, I get um, uh, some other x-rays of it, and the to- doctor goes, you know, I'm not sure if this is anything. Come back in six months. We'll take another picture. I'm like, come back in six months? You've got to be kidding me. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 this, so this is like Satan just coming right back. And, and, and so I, I'm really starting to, to, fear, to get some, struggle with some fear here. And, and so to make matters worse, so I'm watching a movie that night with Stephanie, and 
It's the life of C.S. Lewis. You know that guy? You better. I shouldn't say that guy. I mean, ugh. Uh, that, that famous author and Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but also was a tremendous defender of the faith. But he has an interesting life story, and I'm reading his life story. And uh, towards the end, it, you know, he, he gets married late in life, but then his wife is diagnosed with cancer, and there's this really intense scene. The doctor comes and where's the cancer? in her left thigh bone. <laughs> now, how often do you hear about someone with cancer in their left thigh bone? I mean, if you're a cancer doctor, maybe kind of often, but I would never heard that. I still to this day haven't heard of it. But, but you, know, it, you know, cancer. And so, you know, surely, oh, this is a sign. I'm going to die, you know, uh, this type of thing. But you know something? <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. By this point, what I had was so much different than what I had before. It was just so much different. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the blessed plate, uh, plate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I had something so completely different by this point. A.W. Tozer says, fear is of the flesh. That's not going away, but panic is of the devil. I love that. Sure, there was going to be fear, but there's no need to panic. Not when you know who you are in Christ. And I could, at this point, go... Uh, not only, by the way, do I have brothers and sisters uh, who I can just go pray about and be honest with. Look, I, I, I'm f- I fear about this thing. I have brothers and sisters to encourage and build me up, remind me who I am in Christ. But I have the Word of God. I can go into the Word of God. Second Corinthians 5.17 Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. New things have come. I didn't have to be in bondage to fear anymore. Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. I could trust in the Lord. John 12, 24, Jesus is speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates this life, his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I, I couldn't hold on to my life and still call Jesus my Lord. I couldn't do that. I just had to move forward. I had the word of God. I had the body of Christ. Six months later, I saw it was the same 
thing. And the guy goes, come back in six months. I come back in six months, it's the same thing. It's the same thing today. You take, put a little radioactive dye in my scalp and you'll see this star-like nebula in my left thigh bone, you know? It's, it's, it's nothing. It's a benign uh, tumor. But how grateful I am for my Lord. He saved me from the bondage that I had been in for my whole life that was just crushing me. I think I read this past week, this verse, and oh, it just struck me. 1 Corinthians 2.12. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And there's a lot there, but to sum it up, an abundant life with Christ and eternal life in heaven with him. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, supremely that you have saved us from everlasting punishment in hell. Apart from you, suffering for eternity. But Lord, we also thank you just for the joy the joy that we can experience now. Lord, I think of the, the words of King David, taste the Lord and see that he is good. Lord, we thank you just that we can taste, can get a taste of heaven here on earth. We thank you for that. We thank you for <clears throat> the word. We thank you for each other that we're one, Lord. Give us the grace to love each other. Father, mostly, though, we thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't count it something to be grasped or held onto being in the form of God, equal with God, but you made yourself nothing, your word says, and became like us, died for us, rose again, and now you pour out new life. We thank you for that, Jesus. Father, I just pray for anyone here today, Lord, that they would no, not go on living with their sin against you, opposed to you, but they would accept your free gift of salvation, that they too would be relieved from the fear of death, that they too would taste your joy, that they too would be saved from an, an eternity without you, Lord. And Father, give us the grace to go out and share this wonderful news. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, God bless you. Please rise and close in a worship song.